Welcome to the 100th episode of the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. For the occasion, we interview Yust Kevelam from Cobase. This episode is a bit of a milestone for us. Obviously, as it is one year now that Hussam and I are hosting the podcast, we wanted to have a special episode for the occasion. Our conversation with Yust has been a very insightful, interactive, and we had lots of fun whilst learning more about a topic close to my heart, bank connectivity. In the episode of today, expect to learn what is bank connectivity, what is it used for, and why it is critical for corporate treasurers. What is an EBS, an electronic banking system, and how do smaller companies can leverage that tool? What type of information are exchanged between a bank and a corporate, in which format, and the different channels possible? How Cubase facilitates bank connectivity for corporates by taking on all the implementation and technicalities off the hands of the treasury teams? What is Cubase offer and how they grow it along with connecting more and more corporates with their banks, especially in periods of merger and acquisitions? And so much more. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did discussing with you. It was super interesting learning more about the nitty-gritty details of what is happening between the corporates and their banks from a technical standpoint as well. If you want to know more about Yoost, Cobase, or the different points we tackle in the episode, do not hesitate to check out the description as we will put all the relevant links and information there. With all that being said, please welcome Yoost Kevalam. So, hello, Yust. How are you doing today? Good, good. Thanks. Yourself, Hussam? Very well, thank you. Gil and I are here. We're excited to dig into the topic of the day. Before we get into that, perhaps you could introduce yourself to our audience and explain to us exactly what you do. Yes, sure, sure. My pleasure, yes. My name is Joost Kevelum, and the key that I the thing that I do at Covid is making sure that we deliver on our customer promise. Now, what the business card says is that I'm the chief commercial officer, and that means that I run everything that has to do with our corporate client franchise. So that is from marketing and business development to sales and client implementations. Okay. And you mentioned Cobase. What, what's Cobase? Who are Cobase and what do they do? And why are you on the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast? Yes, sure, sure. So Cobase is a all-in-one multi-banking as a service solution for corporate treasury teams. Um, we help these teams to navigate the very complex field of bank connectivity, cash management, and payment infrastructure. And to put it differently, typically our clients have to deal with five to 50 different bank uh, bank relationships. And without a tech- technology, technology partner, this is very complex. So we at Cobase aim to take away this complexity and make this as simple, efficient, and compliant as possible for them. Here on the podcast, really uh, because of your invitation, which is much appreciated. I'm looking forward to share our view and my thoughts on this specific topic. Awesome. And um, maybe to begin with and uh, dig into one of the topics you mentioned, Just, um, can you start maybe by breaking down what bank connectivity is as a concept? Yeah, sure. Uh, bank connectivity is all about how a company exchanges data or information between themselves and their banks. And in its most basic form, very least that you do want to know as a corporate treasurer or as a treasury team, 
are to know your account balances. So the account balances from accounts at all banks. Then the question is, how do you get that information? And well, if you do not do anything else, what you could do is you could log in every morning at nine o'clock in the morning in five or diff five different banking portals, copy paste the information into Excel, and there you have it, a overview. So they will do that to, I guess, get the information that their bank can provide them, right? So you mentioned yes. account balances. Why else would corporate needs bank connectivity and what are the type of informations that are going from there? Uh, yeah, so the, the, the balances is the, the first thing, yeah? and then there's the, the manual part of it. So the bank connectivity, as we discussed it up until now, it is this manual process of logging in. And obviously, this is not the best use of one's uh, time, and it's risky. Yeah? So you have different logins, different tokens. You make typos in copying the information, fat fingers. And uh, the surprising part is that still we see this happening a lot, eh? even at very well-known and uh, reputable companies. Many of your processes are still there. Um, treasury teams know this is a messy thing. When they start Googling for solutions, then they quickly come across this thing called bank connectivity, where we started off. Eh? And then typically step one is to get these account balances in place. But to your question, Guillaume, uh, the other bits of information that are very much needed is, for example, the transaction information. Eh? So. Are my uh, accounts receivable? Are they being fulfilled by the by the customers, for example? So really, why do they need to get this connectivity in place and well-organized? Well, really to get account balances and transaction statements from the banks to themselves and the other way around to send the payment files. Uh, that's the part I don't think that's the yet, but the other way around, of course, is to send the payment files over the same connectivity from themselves to their banks. And again, also, this is a part that you want to automate because also here, the manual processes are very much inefficient and uh, and risky. Okay. You get your account balances, I guess, for your cash positioning, right? So it yeah. allows you to see how much money you have. Yeah. You also reconcile who paid you because you eventually want to make sure your clients pay you, right? Yeah. And the overall bank connectivity objective is to get away from manual processes, I guess, automation as well. Like as many banks you can have, the more you can automate, the better, right? If you have like, as we yeah. mentioned, 10, 50 banks, you want to automate all this and then just make data-driven decisions and less manual tasks. Super clear. Yes. Let's see. Um, why, why do banks need that information? Yes. I mean, this is called Treasury 101. I'm the guy that doesn't know anything about Treasury. Like, I, why, do, why do I even need to? Why do I have multiple bank accounts and why do I need to know the balance of them daily? Ah, well, typically you have multiple banks because you are a international company and they're are a few banks that have a very, very strong global cash management position, but even the largest global transaction banks still very much have their own expertise areas. So some banks, you might perceive them as a global bank, but they are still very much strong in Asia or in Europe or in the Americas. So even if you would use the, the best of breed banks, you still end up with quite a substantial banking group, really from an operational cash management uh, point of view. The other part of the equation is, of course, that also as a company, you require funding, you have lending needs. So you need to go to a bank to ask them to fund your working capital, to fund your investments and in new plans. Typically, you do this at many different banks. Sometimes because it is a different project requiring different bank. Sometimes because a single project is so large that you need multiple banks to fund this one 
project. So there can be many reasons why you are working with many different banks. Why you need that information on a daily basis is, well, in an ideal world, you really want to optimize your balances across different banks. So you want to avoid that you are taking a loan in one location, whereas you have excess cash available in another location. You could do this to your point with some, you could do this once a week, once a month, look at this. But the more advanced the treasury teams becomes, the more you want to do this really on a daily basis. So you want to avoid lending where not needed, and you want to avoid having excess cash in places where it is not put to the best use. So you could use it for working capital purposes in a different location, or in a much simpler scenario, you simply look at what bank account gives you the highest interest rate, and you want to put it there. For the last couple of years, this has not been a discussion. Eh? There was no interest uh, uh, at all, but uh, we see that changing. Uh, we see that changing in the last couple of months. So it's uh, it's mostly cost driven, right? You don't want to borrow in one location if you can lend from another because that costs money, basically. So it's it's purely cash optimization uh, strategy. Yes. You want yes. to use as much as possible the the group's funds, and then if necessary, borrow more money here and there. Yeah. Okay. Are there different types of connectivity technology? Is like in the back end of it as well? Or is yes. banks communicate with each other using certain platforms, right? We've talked about previous in the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So what you see in the interbank world is the SWIFT network. So one very small step back, if a corporate treasury team decides that they want to automatically connect their banks to their systems, to their teams, then they need to start looking, okay, what is the technology that I'm deploying? And then there are different types of technology mm-hmm. and different networks available. The most well-known one, I guess, is the, the SWIFT network, typically a interbank uh, network. It's quite expensive. Different banks deploy a different view on what the standards in the network are. So you probably have heard in your earlier uh, shows about the MT940 format. <laughs> MT940 sounds very much like a standard, but if you start receiving MT940s from different banks, then you will find out very quickly that the content of those files is very different. So that's a big a bit of a drawback for the the, the corporate use case. So, or Swift. so sorry to interrupt you here. Um, can you describe what an MT940 is exactly? What what does it mean and uh, how does it work? Yes, it's the the standard message template for sending transaction and account balance information typically end-of-day end of day information, simply by the name of it, MT940. It sounds very much like a standard, but that's a bit of a misconception because if you start to receive different MT messages from different banks, you will see that what is in the actual message and what is in the actual data fields, it differs a bit per bank. So the templates might be the same, but the way the information is structured within the file is different from banks to another. Exactly, 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 exactly. Um, the big benefit of the Swift network is, is that it is a very wide network. Yeah? So there is uh, somewhere between 13 and 15,000 uh, participants in the network. Again, typically this is an inter, interbank network, so not necessarily fit for corporate use cases, unless perhaps you are really a large global institution or a global commercial party, then this could be of interest for you. Then moving on to the technology that we see um, being much more used in the corporate space, that is the traditional host-to-host connectivity. The big advantage here is that this type of technology 
is available to many bank clients. In the files that are exchanged over host to host, you can include a lot of data, a rich data, so you have as much detail as possible over the actual transactions. And then because host to host technology in itself is really a old technology, everybody knows how to work with host to host uh, connectivity. Files are easily picked up for further usage in the, in the company. So whether that is by humans or by further systems, it is very light on the, on the client's inf infrastructure. Technology is simple. So host to host sounds like it's a custom communication setup between two banks. But the corporate use case between um, uh, between the corporate client and the bank, um, it is custom made, but it is very easily explained and it's very easily put uh, in a manual. So it, it is not complex. And if a corporate has a IT team, the IT team will know for sure how host-to-host -host connectivity works. Why why would you choose host to host uh, compared to Swift or the other way around? What's so we have the pros and of each, but yeah. Well, uh, pricing is uh, is very uh, very different. Swift is a expensive uh, oh. technology to deploy and to to maintain. Data richness typically is better on the host to host channels. Of course, it all depends a bit on the quality of the descending bank, but typically we see that uh, over host to host, you can have really rich data for your transactions. Now, why is that helpful to have rich uh, transaction data? This is helpful if you want to automate your reconciliation processes between open uh, accounts receivable and actual incoming payments. The more data about the actual payment there is, the more data you can use to compare the transaction data to the account receivable data, uh, the more information there is, the higher level of automated reconciliation you can achieve. So that's a big advantage of data, data richness. Now, of course, there is a small drawback to, uh, to the host-to-host -host services as well. They are available to most corporate clients, but some banks decide to offer this service only to their corporate plus clients. So if you are a smaller entrepreneur, it is not always a given that you have access to this technology. How, how do you do then if you're a smaller size company? You just do not connect or? Well, you can uh, do the manual downloads, for example. Okay. Oh, we that would be a that would be a solution that is deployed quite often. The underlying argumentation here is that this bank, a multi-bank complexity, mostly is relevant for the larger companies. Um, mm -hmm. The the banks have tailored their offering to that. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, so we have Swift and host host. Well, anything else? Any other? Um... Uh, yeah, of course. For the for the last couple of years, APIs uh, are are all the hype, and we are now getting to that point where it is slowly starting to migrate from hype to reality. Ultimately, this is still very much uh, a view on the future for corporate use cases, and the promise is that this APIs, these bank APIs, can deliver data on demand. So, for example, for account balance information, this has very serious potential, and we see. Good examples already in the market of this materializing. We are strong believers in it. Uh, also here, the technology is uh, fairly straightforward. Uh, the big drawback is that APIs today are very unique per banks. So what they typically do, they show you their door or their, their gateway where to get the data. They show you the API spec. 
But thereafter, it's up to you. So you start receiving the data and then you need to find really a way to harmonize the incoming data feeds from the different banks API into a harmonized format that you as a corporate treasury team can use either as a person or as a, as a system. So this is a bit of a, of a drawback here. Uh, another smaller drawback is that it is very different between banks, how rich the data is as well that they are making available through the API again, end of day or near real time, um, uh, Balance information, that is what those banks can offer through their APIs. But then one level deeper, all the information about the specific transactions. And there again, you see to, you start to see a huge differentiation between the quality and the richness of the data that the different banks are providing to their corporate users. Awesome. And here, uh, price-wise, where, where are we located exactly? Is it more expensive than Osterhose, less than Swift's? Uh, how does it work? It depends, but depends a bit. The theory goes that it is more efficient to deploy these API connections, and therefore it could be a bit cheaper. Uh, okay. Another view why this could be a bit cheaper is because uh, API is all the hype, and bank wants to show that they are offering APIs to their clients. Another view is that the cost should be fairly comparable because from a use case perspective, getting your account balances, getting your transaction information, use case is pretty much the same. So some banks argue, I don't care really what channel you are using. The benefit for you is the same. So the price is the same. Uh, different views possible here. Makes a lot of sense. So I have the feeling that so the Swift connection will be very global. Uh, you're likely to be able to connect to a very wide range of financial institutions and banks, host to host, you have to tailor it per bank, right? You have one connection per bank. So if you're connected to five, 10 banks, you have to establish one host to host connection per bank. And it would be the same for API, basically. Yeah, correct. And then there is a small nuance there for companies like, uh, like ourselves. We operate a couple of host to host channels with the banks that we work with very often. Okay. But that's a big benefit for uh, the customers, for example, that work with our company. They do not need to establish their Bank to client host to host channels themselves. They can simply leverage the host to host connections that we as a company already have in place with a number of banks. That's a, a, a bit in between there. Awesome. Okay. So you act as a mini Swift network, so to say. You're already connected to the bank, so you enable the clients to be connected as well through you. Yes, exactly. Awesome. That. Yeah. Okay. So uh, connections per, per region of each bank. So, like, to name a few, if you have like, uh, I'm from the UK, so I know Barclays, for example, if there's Barclays UK and Barclays Europe, I don't know if they're in Europe, uh, would you have individual connections to each or do you have, is one okay for each, for all of them? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, uh, with some, this is the ugly part of global banks. Uh, <laughs> this really depends on the banks. There are large global banks that have this very uniform backend, but there are also very large, well-known brands, but they don't have. Um, this single large universal backend. What we tell our customers is that they should not care about the quality of their bank. We as a firm take care of that complexity. So if you tell us you are working with Barclays, we will enable the connectivity with Barclays and whether that requires one, two or three backend connections, that's our concern. We would like to take that complexity away from our customers. And in the States, in the US, where a lot of our listeners are from, would you also have like state by state can also be different potentially as well? Could be different. Uh, maybe not necessarily for a single bank in the States, but in the States you have 
a huge number of smaller local banks. Yeah. And that's, uh, they all require their, uh, their different host host connections if available. Yeah. You, you mentioned for smaller companies that they may have to download directly the file and reconcile manually, right? This makes me think of, of something we usually refer to, which is the EBS, Electronic Banking System. Is it where those smaller companies will download their reports from or what, how do they access to those basically? Yeah, so two ways around that. One is in the, through the electronic banking system. Then when you start clicking around in the EBS system, you would typically find a section somewhere where you can export uh, reports in the desired format, ranging from CSV, PDF, possibly also to the MT940 type of, of statement. Uh, sorry, a file format. And there are also some banks that have plugins available to, for example, the smaller or local domestic pieces of accounting software. This is something that is widely available, for example, in the uh, in the Dutch market, where Dutch markets have APIs directly into the smaller accounting platforms. Mm. But this is very local and does not work for a global uh, global corporates. Is that the same thing as online banking? Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Basically, it is. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, yeah. But instead of having our so in Belgium we have ING and we just yep. go on our app that would be at a corporate size. But indeed, even though I'm thinking if you have like hundreds of or thousands of bank accounts, it might be a bit more cumbersome to go to your different ones and uh, and we can sell the, the right. cash positioning. Yeah, absolutely. And. Uh, most banks for within that banks they have that arranged of taken care of in their in their app which is totally right here i think you're talking about it reminds me of we we're doing a payment series just recently like and we talked a lot about visa and mastercard and it was basically saying that that's basically the connectivity that me when i have a credit card or whatever my bank can pay to a shopping or a shops bank through Visa, isn't isn't why don't we just use Visa or Mastercard, please? Or is it the same thing? What's the difference here? Um, it's uh, it's a different thing, but it is complementary. So, in the context of bank connectivity, where the link is here, that the link exists to the extent that you want to integrate your card transactions in your overall transaction overview, or to the extent where you want to include your um, uh, online wallet balances in your overall cash overview. So that is where the two areas touch. Uh, and this is also where we help our customers with. So for example, if you want to have to have this daily cash overview, you might have cash st uh, stored in a PayPal wallet or at Adjens. So that type of information we open up to the, to the corporate customers as well. Same for, uh, for card payments. You want to have the card transaction information available within your ERP or within your financial software. That is what we uh, take care of. And you, so you connect to, to, to take some examples, if it's a MasterCard as mm. well. So on top of connecting to some banks via host to host uh, or whatever way API, you do this also for the card payment networks, right? Which is a bit of a different thing, but yeah. you do this as well. Okay. Okay, so maybe going back to the, um, the bank connectivity topics, what type of information are exchanged here? So we talked about what goes from the bank towards the corporates, but yeah. uh, what about the other way around? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great, uh, great question. And perhaps uh, for corporates in practice, the more risky uh, area. So how, the other way around, then you talk about 
about payments. And there's, uh, of course, the status reports and the tracking of payments, and that is one. But the key really here is to realize that once connectivity is in place, the next challenge starts really with the payment formats and mm. payment templates. And those payment formats and payment templates, they vary across banks, they vary across payment products, and they vary across countries. So how on earth are you going to get that nice single large payment batch out of your ERP or out of your accounting software to the banks, to the correct bank in the required format and for that specific payment product. For corporates themselves, this challenge is close to impossible to uh, to fix themselves. And this is where software solution providers can add tremendous value, where in case of our platform, what we do is we would absorb this one single large batch out of the ERP, this large payment uh, batch, there might be a thousand payments in there. And then our platform spits and converts all payment information in that one large batch into the smaller batches for each banks for each bank in the specification that is needed for that bank's requirements for that specific payment product. So this is a nuance per bank, per product, per country. Uh, this is really the big part of uh, the help we provide on the payments um, on the payments area. It is impossible, close to impossible for corporates to manage this complexity themselves. The bank statement side, uh, the incoming side, it's a bit simpler and it's a bit less risky, of course, because it's really only about information and not about sending money somewhere else. So it's a bit less risky. The complexity in terms of formats is the same, the same between the two. Okay. So what you can do from a corporate standpoint is on top of receiving information from your bank, sending them information and not only information, actually information to act upon, which is I want yeah. to make a payment to that uh, to that counterparty. Yes. Challenge you highlight here is, as a corporate, probably a multinational, I want to send multiple payments at the same time. So a batch of payments to different banks and so on. And so the bank connectivity tool allows to just receive, receive the bulk and then yeah. treat the information so all the right amount of money are sent to the right bank and the information is correctly transmitted. Yes, okay. yes. That's a very good summary, Guillaume. Thanks for that. <laughs> Pleasure. So talking about that complexity, how can you make sure once you've sent your payments that it's properly either executed or on the right way, on the right highway, motorway, whatever? Like, do you have a, a kind of status report that you can find and that your bank can send you through this bank connectivity as well? Yes, exactly. There's different types of uh, technology available uh, and that technology then can be transformed into information that is digestible by beings, for example, through a very simple traffic light system. So um, the payments have been sent, they are in process and they or they have been accepted by the by the receiving bank. So there are different uh, technologies available. Traffic lighting is the, the most intuitive one uh, where you can really put on a dashboard for the corporate end user, typically a natural person to see, hey, my payments are underway, they have been confirmed. Uh, all is good or not, of course. Yeah, super clear. So we have the payments, uh, we have the payment status report and also the information on where is the payment and did it arrive or not. Uh, we have the bank statements, meaning all the information your bank sends you regarding your bank account, your transactions, your account receivables information, meaning yeah. okay, this arrived on your bank account, it's, it's, uh, it's here. Anything else that uh, could be sent through the bank connectivity channels, uh, either from the corporate to the bank or the other way around? What we 
get asked about a lot by our clients is this thing called bank account management. And then if you read the, the corporate treasury press, there is every now and then this news about electronic bank account management. Yeah. Um, in practice, we see that this is fairly limited. There ultimately is no real market standard to take care of this. Okay. Um, again, this e-bomb thing we get asked about it, but in practice, we see limited uptake at the bank's site. What is interesting, however, is that once you have a centralized payment software as a service solution, or let's call it a payment hub in place, it becomes very simple to start managing your users' authorizations users' rights and the payment approval processes, and whether that should be four eyes, six eyes, sequential, parallel, centralized, or, or decentralized. So on top of getting the correct banking information in, the correct payment information out, this extra level of added security, mm-hmm. and organized in this, in this one place, this is a big driver for companies to start looking into bank connectivity. If you start talking with corporate treasurers, they get a new employee, their own team, or in their local team abroad, and then they need to add this user to bank portals, bank accounts, give mandates. This very fastly becomes a very cumbersome effort with a technological solution in place. So having established the bank connectivity, you can manage the user rights within this single platform because the technical connection between the corporate and the bank has been established. It's been secured. All natural person interactions over that channel can be managed out of a single piece of software. So you do not need to tell all banks that if Usam is leaving the company, you do not need to go to all banks to tell them that Usam have left, left the company and that the rights should be revoked. You simply go into this one online portal, valid for all banks. You disable Usam, take away his um, uh, authorization rights, and that's it. And the other way around, the new company that is hiring Usam simply onboards him. Likewise, only in this portal, no need to do this at all individual bank levels. Awesome. So not only do you get the information on what is happening on your bank account, you can also see and manage who can act upon your bank account, who is authorized to sign like transfers whatsoever. Yes. The signatories, basically. Absolutely. Yeah. Super clear. Um, one of the things that annoys me the most with my bank is how much they charge me, uh, my bank fees. <laughs> mm. Is there a way for corporates to have a view on that? And does it pass by the bank connectivity channel as well? Or how is that information reported on? This information is not reported on in a very standard manner. Okay. What you can do is that if a bank is sending you this explicit information, it is possible to use the transaction codes to generate automated reports that put every transaction that has code so-and-so, aggregate all those um, uh, transactions and give you a view on the explicit mm-hmm. bank views. But then it is a requirement that the bank is sending this information in a structured way. And this is not always the case. <laughs> and I imagine, again, uh, the information formats and template would vary a lot between uh, one bank and another. Uh, thanks so much for taking us through on what bank connectivity is. We like to usually go into the nitty-gritty technical details as well a little bit. What's the actual process of setting up this bank connectivity channel? I'm guessing there's loads of firewalls in place. Banks are very IT secure in general. So having setting up 
access rights to external companies, let alone internal, you know, like as well, they also have issues. And it must be quite a challenge. So what's the actual practical process? You go to a bank that you want to add into your peer-to-peer uh, -peer network. Well, yes. How do you get that started? And what do you need? What do they need? Yeah, so it's um, uh, it depends a bit on the partner that you are uh, working with. Um, in our case, we do have quite a uh, large network of banks that we work with on a recurring basis. So there we can do a lot on behalf of the client. So the, the bank knows who we as a company are. Um, we have the agreements in place and all that. So there the client can tell us, for example, for, uh, for ING Bank, the client tells us, okay, please onboard me on your channel with ING. It's very light for the, for the clients. For other banks or maybe in more remote locations, we ask the clients to tell their bank, their bank, we like to establish a host-to-host -host connection with Cobase or with yourselves for the purpose of getting the information to Cobase. And then here, this discussion is initiated by the corporate client. They know the bank, they know their relationship manager at the bank. But from that point, we take over. So after the introduction is done, I think, I've mentioned it somewhere else in this um, in this episode that we like to keep this complexity away from clients. So after the introduction has been done, we know who the people are we should talk to. Then we take over from the client, really make sure that they only reap the benefits of the end result, having cash visibility, having the payment infrastructure in place. We do not want to burden them with this whole complexity, uh, the technological complexity. And do you, do you do that directly? Do you guys have software vendors that you use or how does, or do you use like an in-house team for all of that? We use an in-house team uh, for all of that. It is part of our offering. Um, we think we can be most successful by doing this in-house. So we have a dedicated team for bank implementation. It is literally the name of the team is the bank implementation team and they do nothing else than implementing banks for corporate users. That's their day job. They work on the interaction between banks and uh, the company and there's a client implementation team. Also, again, a, a local true co-based team that helps the clients through their implementation process. So we help them with the documentation, if any, is requirements between themselves and the banks, uh, of course, between ourselves and them. We help them with setting up the portal, the dashboards. What is the information that you want to see? Who are the users that you are, uh, want to onboard in the platform? So that's really um, done by us. And it depends a bit on the vendor that, uh, that the company is talking to. Some vendors work more with consultants. Some vendors work more with uh, external IT consultants for specific bank connectivity part, we do it in-house for the client. Just to be clear, you you guys offer mainly peer-to-peer -peer connectivity or you also do the APIs and the other stuff or Swift uh, even? Um, assuming by peer-to-peer, -peer, you mean the, the host-to-host, which in essence yeah, that's is peer-to-peer. Uh, -peer, yeah. -peer, so that's, uh, you're totally right there. Um, yeah, this is also part of complexity that we take away from clients. So the client tells us we want to deal with bank so-and-so. And then we look, okay, what is the information and the information richness that the client needs? And then we suggest to the client what the best technology is. So whether it's host-to-host -host or if an API is available and it meets the level of requirements that the client needs, we can suggest API. 
for example, if a company only needs reporting with a bank in a remote area where we think that due to language or understanding how working with third parties works, it is not very efficient to do host-to-host, then we suggest to the client, well, dear client, we understand you need account information from bank so-and-so, for example, in Japan. Then we would suggest, okay, let's use the Swift network. Nice part about Cobase is, is that we are a regulated company. We are supervised by the Dutch central bank. So we have a bank equivalent status in the Swift network. We have our own Swift big code. So we would simply ask this Japanese bank to send the Swift message to the Cobase big code, and we can make it then available to, uh, to the client. But to put it short, also deciding what type of technology we deploy in connecting to the bank. We keep this complexity away from the client and we propose the technology that we think suits best with the actual client need. The more you talk, the more I think about like um, fintechs. There's more and more fintechs popping up every day. I'm guessing there are some in this field as well. How, how have, has the acceleration of the fintech industry changed bank connectivity overall, in your opinion? Or has it at all? It forces banks to be more outward looking and be more aware of what clients actually need. What is it that a treasury team actually needs? The whole acceleration in the fintech space has forced banks really to open up and start thinking about this. And they become very aware that things that were perhaps agreed years ago, like PSD2, that ultimately this is not only theory, but there should be heat on the bones there. So companies are starting to ask banks, hey, how about PSD2? How about your APIs? How do I get real-time balance information? Mm. Um, And then what fintechs do is that they fill this void between banks, commercial and banks, tech teams, and themselves. There is this technology part that needs to be fulfilled, and that's being fulfilled by fintechs. in case of bank connectivity, uh, our firm is one of the one of the examples there. What is what is PSD two used? You, you mentioned it a couple of times. Um, well, what is it exactly? Yeah, PSD two uh, in very short is a regulation that forces banks to open up their account statement data, for example, to third parties, and those third parties then are able to help the end consumer. Mostly used uh, in the in the retail sphere, but you can imagine every natural treasurer is also a retail person. So, what your experience in private life is sets the bar for expectations in your professional life, and uh, that's what we see in that area. So, PSD two is the regulation behind open banking, basically. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. To your information. Yeah. So, it's the European interpretation of the broader concept of open banking. Yeah. Super clear. When you touched upon implementation and uh, the work your uh, your team, bank implementation team does, sounds like there is a lot of um, technology aspects, uh, a lot of like departments involved potentially. How does does this whole connect to the company actually? Uh, as a corporate, what does my bank connectivity tools, such as the Cobase one, for instance, where would it connect and integrate? Is it through the ERP? I think you mentioned it a bit earlier. Yeah. For the TMS, we did a whole episode on um, uh, treasury system, so our audience is a bit aware of it. But yeah. how, how does the bank connectivity tool integrates into all this? The question here is, what does the client want? Okay. For some clients, 
they uh, simply want a dashboard and a tooling to initiate payments to different banks without having to worry about all the different portals. For them, we have the online cloud solution for them to log in. Let's call it their Cobase website. They log in and have all information there online in the Cobase GUI. For the larger part of the customers that we help, they want to use that information further downstream or upstream, if you like. So we aggregate all account information, account balances, transactions. We convert and harmonize that to one single, let's call it a Cobase format. And then we make sure that this Cobase format is made available to the ERP system or the TMS. That can be both. We typically call this the ERP system. TMSs can be part of an ERP system. For us, it doesn't really matter if the client tells us, I want to consume the data in system so-and-so. We make sure that the data is made available to that specific system. And in practice, most of the corporate clients do want to use this in an automated way in a different system. Makes a lot of sense. Um, I want to to dig a little bit more into the, the Kobe's offering, but before that, I would like to, to wrap up maybe this nitty-gritty details of the bank connectivity aspects uh, by one last question, especially when it comes to SWIFT. So I keep on hearing about... Um, Having a company's BIC, a big, um, I think you touched upon it, the big corporates can be registered uh, with B, uh, with Swift directly. Uh, I think there is also a Swift offering, which is the Swift Alliance Lite 2, uh, which is also, I guess, a way to connect to, to the banks. Uh, are there others and what are all those? What's different connection types possible, basically, um, when it comes to Swift? Yeah, in all honesty, I am... Not the specialist in the in the Swift field. Um, when I talk to treasurers, they are mostly curious about the alternatives to Swift and the different um, hmm. uh, offerings that they have. Also in Swift Alliance Lite, you still have to operate your local server to receive all those documents. So also files. So also that is not very straightforward. So our role. When it comes to Swift, it's mostly that we are, as a regulated entity, are participating in the network for the benefit of the client. Mm. So, as explained before, we use the code-based big code to receive, for example, the MT940s on behalf of our customers. What a big benefit here is of the global Swift network is exactly that wide global reach. It's an easy way to connect to the more exotic banks that do not offer, for example, these host-to-host services. For a deep dive on the different um, uh, flavors of Swift-based connectivity itself, I'm very sure you will find guests that can tell you much more about it than myself. <laughs> no, that's that's already super clear. Thanks a lot. So, I mean, just take us through what Colbase does then exactly. So, uh, you mentioned quite a few times the kind of things that you offer, but... Give us the, not the sales pitch, but uh, <laughs> the overview of what what exactly you guys do and how you help your clients and et cetera, and what services you offer exactly. Yeah, sure, sure. So today we offer three solutions. Uh, the first one is what we call the Cobase Bank Connector. And the Bank Connector provides a powerful integration between banks and bank accounts and specific ERP systems. For example, Oracle NetSuite, um, balance and transaction information, from the banks is converted and ready for use within Oracle NetSuite specifically, the other way around for payments. Uh, this is a narrow but very focused offering at a price point accordingly. And this was launched last year. It's a big success so far. It fulfills a very clear need. And that need is how on earth do I get my bank and transaction data in NetSuite? 
that's what we fix for uh, for clients. So that is the bank connector. It's specifically geared towards a specific ERP system. Then the core Cobase offering, that is the Cobase payment hub. And for the payment hub, you are not bound to a specific ERP. All the payment hub, the payment hub offers this much richer GUI, which is not necessarily there for the bank connector. So we have the richer GUI where you can, for example, enter manual payments in the actual platform itself. It also allows for more advanced workflow designs as a richer reporting and dashboarding functionalities. And then lastly, there's the treasury management system. And that is essentially the payment hub, but it is enriched with functionalities for dealing FX, calculating and hedging FX risks, in-house banking, liquidity forecasting, and balance optimization. So when you enable these modules, you are essentially deploying a light TMS system. Now, what is true for all three offerings and what is the technological core of Cobase is that all three offerings include this fully managed bank connectivity and file transformation service. And again, this is a dedicated Cobase team that takes care of bank connectivity and of file transformation. And that is the core intellectual knowledge, if you like, of the, of the Cobase teams. Take all this complexity away from the clients. Is it so? Are all those three service offerings uh, all cloud-based solutions? Uh, I think you mentioned it for one of the offering, but are all the others as well? Yeah, everything is uh, is cloud-based. Yeah. So, so just to be clear again for listeners, the cloud-based means that it sits on. You don't you don't come in and install any softwares on your clients' uh, servers. Your your you have a central software somewhere they connect via the internet, basically. It is exactly that. Yeah, it is yeah. exactly that. That's. Gives um, easy deployments, um, mm. so that's easy for clients. For us, it's uh, easier to to maintain. And for the large cloud providers, uh, financial services security is really on top of their agenda. So also from a security point of view, it's very beneficial for, for clients. Very clear, Just. Um, th- thank you so much. Can you maybe explain us how Cobase um, helps corporate connected to their banks um, and how do you differentiate exactly from other service providers in the same industry? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for asking that. There are a couple of players like us in the market. We think that we are different because we are licensed by the Dutch Central Bank and this essentially provides comfort to our clients eh, that we operate on a bank equivalent system and process security. So that's quite a big one. From a operational point of view, file transformation and especially the maintenance of those files is always standard included in our service. This does not come at additional fees or whenever in the future bank formats change, which they do all the time, we would not charge you separately. We want to be you as carefree as, as possible. So this is all done in the background, kept away from you and not built to you. And this is not a given uh, for, um, for all participants in the market. <laughs> The last one here that I'd like to mention is uh, that we offer really high service levels. And of course, this can be just a marketing line, but the relationships we work with, they all like working with us. Also, or perhaps especially after all the gloss of the seal process is gone, because on day one, it's a seals pitch and everything is okidori. Mm-hmm. And then the, the rough work of the implementation starts. We get very good feedback from our uh, clients there. Uh, just as an example, TMI recently published an interview between Joanne, who is the group head of cash management, and myself. And this one is a, this, this interview, it's a, it's a good read, but this is really a true testament to this point of how happy customers are with the cooperation 
after the sales process. Awesome. Is it um, is it the same? Because it's it's not only uh, an interview with TMI, right? I think you you were nominated for an award. Uh, is it is it the same one? Uh, the highly commented. Uh, exactly, exactly. So the award came after. Uh, thanks a lot. The award came after uh, after the interview. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. yeah I recall this one. Uh, yeah. And again, it, it proves it proves the whole uh, sales piece. And I know from experience that the implementation experience can be much much different uh, <laughs> from the yes. from the sales piece. Um, where do you just for my curiosity? Where do you operate geographi geographically? Sorry, uh, is it because if it's a cloud-based solution, you can you can be anywhere in the world, right? Uh, is it the case right now? Do you have a specific market you're focusing on? What's the yeah. uh, What's the point here? No, great, great uh, question. So we connect with banks worldwide. We work for uh, legal entities of companies worldwide. If you look at where we focus our marketing efforts, then it is for uh, European treasury centers. Now, this can be for European treasury centers for logically European companies, but this can also be for European treasury centers, for example, for US-based companies. Um, and this is really from the practical point of view that the implementation team is here locally. We like to work with actual people on the go-based payroll not to outsource all this work. So working with European teams is um, the best way that we can guarantee that we deliver on our on our promise. So we work with European treasury teams during European business hours. That said, if those European treasury entities do need to connect to global banks, that's no problem at all. That is what we do on a daily basis. And if those um, uh, European companies have entities across the globe, that's also no problem at all. That's what we do on a daily basis. Makes a lot of sense. Okay. Can you maybe walk us through a use case uh, where you have implemented a, a bank connectivity solution? I don't know if you want to uh, talk about the one you, you got awarded for. Um, and I would like also you to, to maybe focus on what were the benefits? So what was the problem statement from the client? What what were they trying to achieve? And thanks to the Kobe solution, what happened? And what were the benefits at the end? Yeah. Um, the one from the award, I'll... Um... I'll, I'll urge every listener to to give that one a, that one a read. It's a nice read, uh, but another one, and it is a use case that we come across quite often. That is for companies that are growing and expanding rapidly. So whether it is organically, or whether there is through a acquisition mode, um, you can imagine that if you are starting to acquire companies in, for example, different companies, and you've had not have a uh, you've not had a relationship before then each and every acquisition comes with its own banking landscape, its own financial software, its own ERP systems, its own natural persons uh, that are working there. And for companies in an acquisition mode, it can be very complex to have, first of all, to have quick insight of what is happening financially in the newly acquired company. And then secondly, it's very can be very complex to have control over what is happening locally. Now, I'm not suggesting that uh, the software enables total centralization of ac every acquisition. Of course, it is possible. But the key thing that the companies are looking for is to have at least insight and control over what is happening. So you can be very comfortable with payments still being approved locally in the newly acquired company, but at least you want to know what the authorization rights are. In the newly acquired company, you want to know what the cash balances are. And this is a use case that we have come across quite often. This is why clients like Cobase. It easily scales with them. Um, 
the example I just gave is for a company that is essentially in a constant acquisition modus. But we have also a company that is constantly expanding into new markets organically. And also there, they find it very convenient to have a platform like Cobase in place that whenever they move into a new market, um, and I think this is one of uh, Usam's point really in the beginning of this interview, where he said, why do you have all these many banks? Well, if you go to a new co- country, typically you want to start working with a local bank, and then you want to have this local bank onboarded in your financial infrastructure as soon as possible. With the Cobase platform in place, it's very easy to start adding new banks also here this takes away a lot of this complexity if you are growing or if you are acquiring you have many things on your plate the one thing that you do not want to worry about is bank connectivity and that's what we help our customers with awesome and talking about the benefits when you have a client expanding and that's to wants to be connected to a new bank in an exotic country, let's say, do they have to do the work themselves? Is it quote unquote easy to implement on the corporate side or does your team take it, I mean, take it in charge? How does it work here? For the team on the client side, this typically is easy. Okay. For us, it's not, but it is what we like to do. (laughs) Exactly. That's the point. It's what we like to do. And because of our experience, we tend to think that we can do this a bit better than the, the, than the corporate customer themselves. But yeah, the the ambition is always to make this as easy and painless for the customer as possible. Okay. Super clear. And again, sorry, I'm, I'm getting really curious, but when, um, so I'm expanding, um, I want to be connected to a new bank, uh, if. We are in the case where Cobase is not um, initially connected to that bank. Will you establish the connection then by yourself as well? And it's something you add for your portfolio and then for the future clients, you will also be connected already, right? So the further you grow, the further your network grows as well. And then the future clients coming can basically enjoy and profit from all these uh, new banks connected. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question and really how we as a business uh, like to think. So whenever we approach a new bank, the actual introduction typically ha- happens with the help of the customer. Because the mm. customer already knows the bank and has the relationship. So they tell their bank, dear bank, uh, we would like you to start working with Cobase on making our data available. For us, we always try to explore the route first where we can have the channel in our name exactly to do what you are describing. If the channel is in our name, in the Cobase name, we can simply add clients later on and really building this library. This is fine for uh, uh, banks that are aware of this tech side and have this have done this before. They typically tend to cooperate, but many banks find this a bit too new uh, for them. Okay. Um, so their new clients do not literally enter the same channel, but because we have worked with people at that new bank before, also establishing a connection in name of the client, becomes fairly easy because we know the people, we know the bank. So in that sense, we are building maybe not necessarily this library. Well, bank-specific library, yes, but not a library of repurposable connections. Because we are building this network of banks that know how to work with Cobase. Super clear. Uh, makes a lot of sense. Yes, that was super insightful. Thank you so much. Um, anything else you will like to add either on bank connectivity as a topic or on Cobase that we maybe didn't touch upon? No, thanks a lot for the information, uh, for the invitation, Guillaume. It's been a very pleasant hour. 
the, the only message I would like to give the listeners is whenever you are exploring this domain of bank connectivity, do your market sounding, mm. be very sure about the questions that you need to ask. There is in this complex field, a big difference between marketing and actual delivery. This is not easy to figure out yourselves. To put it very simple, my mailbox or LinkedIn <laughs> box is always open for a quick sounding session. Perfect. Um, not necessarily to buy, but to share. Yeah, share information. Exactly. Uh, I was going to come to it. It feels like, so you mentioned the interview. I see you guys are, are sharing a lot on LinkedIn, on your website. So you read these articles and so on. So that's maybe a good way to start, right? So just inform yeah. yourself about the resources out there on the on, on the internet. Compare, of course, uh, like cross-checks, yeah. and uh, but definitely there are some resources available. And talking about Cobase, um, if people would like to know more about you, uh, read those articles, know more about the interview you mentioned um, for Tenemos, where should they go? And also for the LinkedIn of, uh, of, of your and your company. Yeah, exactly. So uh, our website, www.cobase.com. If you want to do it more personal, it's uh, my first name dot last name at cobase.com. Feel free to email me directly uh, or look me up at LinkedIn. and I'll find you in the message box there, fully available. This is awesome. We'll put all the links in the description. Uh, so if you'd like to check them out, just uh, go in the podcast description and your LinkedIn profile will be there, Cobase as well. And we will put the resources we mentioned, such as uh, the interview one, so people can go directly there. Just thank you very much. Thank you very much, Guillaume.